chance. All right, Matthew 18. Uh, Matthew 18, great. In my estimation, this is my opinion, greatest passage in the Bible on forgiveness. All right? So if you'd like to stand, I'm going to read this parable that Jesus told that begins in Matthew 18, verse 21. Okay, here we go. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or your Bible may say 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will repay you everything out of pity for him. The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, please help us to forgive. God, I pray that you would just show us, God, reveal to us the magnitude of our own sin and the incredible grace that's been given to us. God, I pray that we might feel that. I pray that we might experience that forgiveness, that wonder of your grace this morning. And Father, I pray that it would be so much in us that we would give it to others. God, help us to have mercy as we have been given mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So let me give you a little bit of a review. So last week, uh, we looked at the passage where Jesus basically says your sin is the worst thing, right? He said, you know, you, you should do whatever it takes not to sin. In fact, he gave us that graphic example of cutting off your hand or cutting off your foot or gouging out your eye. And obviously, Jesus didn't want us to maim ourselves. We talked about how that actually doesn't help you not to sin. But what he was saying is this, this would be better. He was saying this tragic, terrible thing would be better than living a life of sin. So in other words, sin is the worst thing, okay? And then from there, we moved into because sin is the worst thing, then when our brother is in sin, 
then we should love them enough to get up and go to them and try to reconcile. Go to them in prayer. Go to them in, in speaking truth. Go to them even with a couple brothers to try to bring them out of sin. We should try everything to try to restore broken relationships, okay? Now, as Peter is hearing that, okay, as Peter is hearing Jesus say, man, if, if you're at odds with your brother, you got to go. You got to go and you got to try to restore that relationship. You got to try to try to mend that friendship. You got you to try to to make things right. you got to try to forgive. You know, as Peter is hearing that, there's a question that's in his mind, okay? And it's probably the question that's in your mind, right? It's, okay, but what is the limit, right? We, we, we all kind of want to know, what's the limit? All right, Jesus, you're talking about forgiveness. You're talking about, well, we're, we have to forgive. We're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to restore relationships. So the big question is, how, how many times should I forgive somebody, Right? How many times do, do, do I give them grace? How many times do I give them mercy? You know, what's the limit? At what point can I be done with them? At what point can I write them out of my life? At what point can I, can I say, all right, no more forgiveness for you. No more mercy for you. All right, we're done. You're done. I'm done with you. At what point can I do that? At what point have people sinned so much or their sin is so bad that they don't get any more mercy? I kind of wonder if Peter had somebody in mind, you know? Like, like to ask that question, I'm kind of wondering if he was, you know, Jesus talking to anybody, okay, if your brother sins, you need to go to him, you need to reconcile. You know, I'm kind of wondering if Peter is thinking in his mind, well, well, what about that guy down on the lake, you know, that he, his fishing business is right beside mine, and man, he has, he has done this again and again and again to me, you know? I wonder if, if maybe that morning, you know, Peter was a married guy, maybe that morning, you know, he had come out of his house and the disciples were there to, you know, pick him up, and, and maybe he had had a fight with his wife, he'd said some harsh things, and as he's walking away his way, his wife you know, swung open the door and, you know, kind of gave him a zinger, you know. And there he is, you know, he's kind of humiliated in front of Peter and John. And, you know, he's kind of walking with, you know, and I wonder if he's thinking, you know, how many times, how many times am I going to forget that gal, you know. She's done that to me. So how many, I, maybe, maybe he had somebody in mind. Maybe he didn't. I'm not sure. But his question is, what's the limit, right? When, when can I stop forgiving people? Now, the rabbis said three times. Uh, the rabbis of Jesus' day they kind of pulled some Old Testament passages together, not rightly, and they basically said, all right, if someone, you know, sins against you, you need to forgive them, you know, once, if they do it again, forgive them twice, they do it again, forgive them three times, they do it again, then, <laughs> number four, you don't go to him go to him seeking reconciliation, you go with a bat, right? Like, that's it, four time is done, right? That's what the rabbis taught, and so Peter says, hey, Jesus, how many times, what's the limit? And he throws out there seven times. I kind of think Peter thinks, man, I'm shooting high here, you know? I think Peter is expecting Jesus to put his arm around him and say, Peter, you are a forgiving dude. Good job. Seven times. I mean, you know, can you imagine going to somebody, you reconcile, you forgive them, and then they do it again, and then again, and again, and again, and again, and again. You go seven times and forgive them. I'm expecting, you know, Peter thought, man, I am really being spiritual here in saying, I, I think we should be willing to do this seven times. And then Jesus says, 70 times 7. You know, that's 490, or depending on how your Bible translates it, 77. Either way, what, what is in mind here is there are no limits. That's what Jesus is saying. 7 is a perfect number, complete number in the Bible. And I think what, what Jesus is saying is there's no, will, there's no limit to our willingness to forgive. Now, that's kind of a gut punch, honestly, is it not? Not for you? I think it is for most of us, you know? We, we really want there to be like this threshold where, okay, if you do that again, I'm finished, right? The reason that forgiveness is so hard for us is because 
Vengeance is so easy for us. Um, we are born kind of entrenched with this vengeance inside of us. There's this really interesting passage in the Old Testament, okay? In Genesis chapter 4, it's this guy named Lamech, okay? Let's listen to what he says. I actually think that Jesus might have been thinking about this passage when he said what he just said, okay? Because here's what Lamech says. Lamech says to his wife, he's bragging to his wives, Adon and Zohar. He says, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Isn't it interesting that he uses the same numbers there? All right? Now, now, what is Lamech saying? Lamech's saying what is in all of us, and it's this. You hurt me a little, I'll hurt you a lot. All right? That's, that's what's in Lamech. He's like, you hurt me a little, and I will hurt you a lot. All right? Now, that is very natural to all of us. Okay? You, you don't have to learn that. You know that in the Lincoln Avenue nursery, do you not, right? Like that, that's how quickly we learn that, right? When somebody takes a kid's toy, they are not, they're, first of all, they're infuriated, are they not? I mean, usually it results in wailing, right? In anger, in red face, veins in the neck, right? You took my truck, right? And they are never happy to just get the truck back. That's never enough, okay? What is enough is when I get the truck back and I hit you with the truck, you know, and I run the truck over your fingers, then I am for a little bit satisfied, right? Because here's what's in all of us. There's, There's something satisfying about vengeance, about about getting even, right? I would even say this. There's something pleasurable about that. Sinfully. I had poison ivy here a month ago. Just finally kind of got over it. And uh, I don't know the medical thing behind this, but I'd be okay all day. And then at night, about 9, 10 o'clock, man, it would just flare up. And and I tried to save my, I had the steroid cream that I'd, I'd put on the, the places and tried to save that for night. And I'm telling you, I watch my, I watch my, uh, I've got a watch that takes my heart rate. You know, it's constantly monitoring my heart rate. I saw, I saw my heart rate go up about 15 beats one time. I was, I was putting that cream on, and and you know, I, I, so I'm touching it, and then it's like, oh, you know, and, and I just, I, you know, I couldn't help it, like I lost control, you know, and I and I, I'd itch it, and I'm telling you guys, it was exhilarating. Okay, I mean, ah. Uh, it's just so good just to scratch that, you know, just, ah, ah. And it just felt so good for about 30 seconds. And then, then it just inflamed in misery. And it'd be two, three hours of just trying, fighting it, trying to keep my hands off of it just so I could get to sleep. Forgiveness, unforgiveness is exactly like that. Unforgiveness, vengeance, getting even, man, it it feels really good initially. And then it results in a lot of misery. Paul Tripp, he's a guy that we like here at the church. He's written a bunch of parenting books that we've bought a bunch of and give them away. We we really enjoy them. And Paul Tripp said there's five dark benefits of unforgiveness. Let me read them to you, and I'm going to just say a little bit about each one. He says, what we love about unforgiveness is power, okay? What we love about someone having a debt, you know, with us, what we love about that is power. You know why? Because we love it 
to hold it over someone. There, there's some kind of sinful pleasure in having leverage and saying, you owe me. Number two, we, we love it because it's identity. There is very much a feeling of superiority when someone has wronged you. Is there not? Like whenever someone does something sinful to you, something bad, you know, and you know it, there's something about feeling that I am better than you. You are a bad person. You're the bad spouse. You're the, you're the bad relative, and I'm the good one. And we all know it. Debt is entitlement. There, there's something about unforgiveness that says, I deserve, I deserve. I deserve. Because you did that to me, I deserve to be selfish. Because you did that to me, I, I deserve to be self-centered, to be demanding. You owe it to me. Debt is weaponry. Unforgiveness is weaponry. Have you ever watched those westerns where you got the gunslinger? He's got his uh, six-shooter right here, you know, and he's got that belt with all the bullets in it, okay? You, you know, that, that's kind of the way unforgiveness is. Unforgiveness is just, just a whole round of ammunition, just waiting, waiting for the next conflict, waiting for the next fight, waiting for the next altercation so you can pull out those bullets and let them have it. And listen, there are some folks that they're not the gunslinger with the belt. Have you ever seen the gunslinger that he's got the belt over this way and over this way, you know? I mean, like, like he's got enough to fight the army, right, okay? There are folks that that's how many bullets they've got. I mean, whenever they come to an altercation, they can think back, 10 years ago, you did this. And eight years ago, you did this. And seven years ago, you did this. And you did this. And this is how many times you did it. It's weaponry. It's I'm going to hurt you with your failures, and I'm going to put it over you, and it's going to feel good. For a little while, anyway. Unforgiveness is the last thing he says, Paul Tripp says. He says it puts us in the place of God. So one of the reasons it feels a little good is it's going back to the garden. You remember the, the temptation in the garden? What was the temptation in the garden in Genesis 3? It was, hey, the devil said, if you eat of that tree, you'll be like God. You'll be, you'll be your own God. It's kind of at the heart of all sin, isn't it? Is, is that wanting to be God. And whenever we've got something over someone, whenever we, we, we've got this grudge, this bitterness, there's this debt that they owe us, there's this... This feeling of almost being godlike, and we're dealing out judgment for sin. We want to be the ones that deal out judgment. I can't tell you how many times I've told somebody, hey, the Bible says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And they're like, that's not good enough. I, I want to deal it out. I want it now. It's interesting to me that in Genesis 50, I've been going through the God story with some folks, and I was reminded of this the other day. Remember when Joseph, man, there's nobody that was done, treated more sinfully and unrighteously than Joseph. He was, he was actually sold into slavery by his brothers, his brothers. They told his dad and his mom he was dead. He sold into slavery, and then it doesn't end there, but from slavery he goes to prison. 17 years of slavery and prison, and he did absolutely nothing wrong. And then through God's sovereignty he's exalted to the prime minister of egypt there's a famine in the land his family has to come to egypt in order to survive to, to buy food and joseph meets them and they don't know it's him and and he reveals himself and he brings them in and this great big hug and and forgives them and and brings all 70 of them to egypt and takes care of them personally and if you remember at the end of genesis 
the dad dies. So Jacob, the father, dies. And, 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 and the brothers are thinking that Joseph is like them, you know. And, and so they go, to, they, get, they make this plan. They're like, okay, now he's going to get us back. You know, dad is dead. Dad's no longer here. We're in trouble. You know, so they make this plan and they say, hey, Joseph, you know, when dad was dying, you stepped out to go to the bathroom and, and, and you missed it. But, but dad said to tell you, please forgive your brothers. Don't, don't, please don't enact vengeance against them. You know, he really, he didn't say that, but they, you know, they, they lied. They, they made up this story about, hey, when you left, you know, dad, dad this is what dad said. And Joseph just shakes his head. And he says this in Genesis 50.10. He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? You see, Joseph said, basically, I'm, I'm not going to be the kind of person who enacts vengeance. I'm not going to be the kind of person that holds a grudge. I'm not going to be the kind of person that holds on to bitterness. I'm not going to be that kind of person because I'm not in the place of God. That's God's place. All right? So there's all these reasons why we love vengeance. There's all these reasons why our sinful flesh, our hearts are broken and they're out of alignment and we're bent toward unforgiveness. And, and that's why when Jesus tells Peter, basically 70 times seven, Peter, in other words, there's, there's no limits to this forgiveness. You gotta know that in Peter's heart, he's like, how? How, how am I gonna forgive that many times? How am I gonna forgive that person who did that thing, who did it over and over? How am I gonna do that? And Jesus' answer is this parable, okay? His answer of how you're gonna forgive is this. For a Christian, you're gonna forgive because of your own experience of forgiveness, okay? Did you hear that? That's how you forgive. As a Christian, we forgive. As a Christian, we're able to show mercy because we have been shown mercy, because we have been forgiven, because of our experience of forgiveness. And, and to demonstrate that, Jesus tells this parable, okay? The parable is about a king, and the king is settling accounts, and he finds a servant. When they're settling accounts, they open the book, and they find out that there's a servant that owes him 10,000 talents. Now, that's an astronomical amount of money. How much would that be today? Nobody really knows because of the differences in our society and culture and money and government and economies, but here's what we know. 10,000 was the highest number in the Greek language. Here's what we know. A talent was the highest measure of currency, okay? We do know this, that, that around this time, the total tax revenue from Idumea, from Judea, from Samaria, and from Galilee was 900 talents in a year, okay? All the taxes that they collected was 900 talents. So it'd be 10 times that much. And so maybe take all the taxes that are collected in our country, okay, in a year, okay, all the sales tax, all the property tax, all the income tax that are collected in a year, and maybe multiply that by 10, and maybe you come up with some sort of number, right? That would be what? That would be in the hundreds of millions, in the bill, it'd be a billion dollars, okay? And, and so this, this number of 10,000 talents, just think in your mind, it's, it's a billion dollars. And obviously in verse 25, the guy can't pay. He owes this debt and he can't pay it. He couldn't pay it back if he lived 100 lifetimes. He couldn't come close to paying this debt back. And so what happens in verse 25? They put the shackles on him. They put the shackles on him. He is being sold into debtor's prison. He's being sold. His wife, they put the shackles on her. His little kids, his babies, they put the shackles. They're going to suffer for his sin. They're going to suffer for his debt. Everything he has is getting ready to be sold. And this guy does the only thing that he can do. He begs. He pleads for patience. He says, so I can repay it, but there's, it's impossible. He'll never be able to. And so he's just begging. And in verse 27, there's an interesting word. 
It says of the king, out of pity for him. That word pity is the word compassion. We've seen it over and over again in Matthew, particularly in regards to Jesus. This is when, when over and over we've seen like Jesus will look out upon the masses. He'll look out upon the, the sick and the lame and the demon possessed. And it says he had compassion for him and it moved him out to mission. Well, the, the same word is used of this king. It says he saw this family in shackles, babies in shackles, ready to be sold in a debtor's prison. And it says he had compassion on the man. And he does two things. He releases them. He commands the guards. And they go and they undo the shackles. You're free. They undo the wife. You're free. They undo. You're free. You're all free. And then the king says, not only are you free, you're forgiven. Okay? Those are two different things. You're free. You can go. You're, you won't have the consequences. And not only that, but you're also forgiven. In other words, you don't owe me this money anymore. I'll pay it. I'll take the debt on myself. So they're released and they're forgiven, okay? Now, remember how this, this passage started. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, okay? He's not talking about a king. This is a made-up story. He's talking about you and me. And here's the reality, folks. If you are joined to Jesus by faith, if you have seen his glory and repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection as your only hope for salvation, if you have taken up your cross and are following him, this is you. You understand that? This is you. This guy in this parable, this servant who owed 10,000 talents and couldn't pay it and was going to be sold into slavery and all that he had and his family, this is you. You are the one. And this is your experience of forgiveness. You see, the Bible would tell us you owe an astronomical debt that you cannot pay. What kind of debt do you owe? Well, God has created you, he has formed you, and you owe him glory. And you've not paid it. Romans 3, 23, all have fallen sin and fallen short of the glory of God. You owe him honor and you've not honored him. You owe him love and you've not loved him. You've, you've honored everything else. You've loved everything else. You've ignored God. You owe him obedience and you've not done it. You owe him purity and holiness and you've not paid it. Acts 17, 25 says he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And we've not paid it. And we've not paid it since birth. Since birth, we have been sinning against God. We've been breaking his laws and opposing him and offending him and ignoring him. And that is your sin debt and you can't pay. And the Bible says you're going to be sold into the hell of fire. You're going to lose all that you hold dear under the wrath and judgment of God. And if you're a believer here today, then you saw that coming. And you turned from your sin and you put your faith in Jesus and you gave him your life and you, you, you didn't try to pay him. You knew you couldn't. You pleaded with him to take your sin. Right? That's what a Christian does. We come to Jesus and we're like, would you take my sin? Would you pay this astronomical debt? Would you pay it yourself, Jesus? Would you suffer and die and be crucified and, and, and whipped and tortured? Would you take my sin? And he did. He released you. He released you from your, your prison of sin, death, and the grave. If you're a believer today, you won't go to hell. You won't go because of the king. If you're a believer here today, he forgave your debt. You don't have to pay it off. You're righteous with his righteousness. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it gets even better. Not only did he do that upon your conversion, but he keeps doing that. Right? Right? Because you keep sinning. 
1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just want to take Peter and shake him when he says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? You know why I want to shake Peter? Because I don't want Jesus putting limits on forgiveness, all right? Certainly not seven. Okay, because let me ask you this. How many of you have lost your temper since you were converted, since you became a Christian, how many of you have lost your temper more than seven times? How many of you have been greedy more than seven times? How many of you have been covetous more than seven times? How many of you have been prideful or selfish or lied or immoral or cheated or dishonored or disobeyed? How, how many of us continue to do that? And what does Jesus do? He continues to forgive. And so, man, I, I, I tell you what, I don't want this limit thing. I'm so glad that Jesus keeps giving me mercy. Well, verse 28, that same servant, the same one, that same guy went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii was a day wage for a day, day laborer. We don't really have day laborers in the United States. Maybe, maybe in some agricultural areas where they're picking fruit or something like that. But day laborers were common in Jesus' day. In other words, you didn't have a job. You just gathered in a place, and they came and picked a few of you, and, and you got the bottom wage in society. They have them in India. Uh, in India, they make about a dollar a day. There's a, there's a bunch of people in India that make about a dollar a day. So if we go with that number, there'd be 100 bucks. That's how much he owes. This servant of it, that's how much this servant owes him. If, if we use the United States standards, which would really be strange because the United States is pretty much an anomaly in all the world in the history of the world. But even with the, if we use that, a day's wage, a minimum wage would be 60-some bucks, 70-some bucks maybe, something like that. A hundred of those would be six, $7,000. So, so the, the point is clear, however you, you, you slice it, it, it's meant to be jarring. It, the contrast between what you've been forgiven and what you are called to forgive, is meant to be joined. It's meant to show you this incredible chasm between what this guy was forgiven and what this guy is called to forgive. He was forgiven a billion, and he's called to forgive a hundred. Okay, he was just there 20 minutes ago. Surely this experience of mercy will cause him to seize the opportunity. You would think as he walks down those steps, and the guy he was facing his life was over. His, his family's life was over. His children's life was there. It was over. And in the sweep of mercy, he's forgiven and released, and, and it's all gone. You would think he would come down those steps and see this guy that owes him a hundred denarii, and he'd say, oh, man, you're forgiven, buddy. You're forgiven. Not only that, here's another hundred, you know. Like you, you would think he would, he would be generous and merciful. He's not. It says he seizes him and he chokes him. Man, I'm telling you, this is so much. Isn't this a picture of vengeance? And I've seen people so angry. They, they want to hurt. They want to say something that will sting. They want to bring something up that will tear somebody down. They want to hurt him. That's this guy. 
me. He grabs him and he chokes him. And it's so interesting. The guy says the exact same thing he did. Please, please show mercy. Beg, please give me some time. And then the interesting thing is, he actually could pay it back. Hundred denarii, he could do that. He won't let him. You know why? He wants to hurt him. He wants to make him pay. And so he throws him in prison. There's something really wrong here. He just wants you to see that. There's something wrong here. <laughs> like that, that's the point of this parable. Like, like, like he, he wants you to see, whoa, 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 Some, whoa. Something's wrong. Like this guy's experience of forgiveness and mercy has not changed him. It's had zero effect on him. Like that, that's strange, isn't it? This guy doesn't at all resemble the one who just forgave him. We might understand this if it were somebody who'd never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, somebody who was lost in their sins. That, that, but a believer? How, how can a believer forget how much they've been forgiven? How can, how can a believer who's experienced the grace of God how can that fade into the background of our mind? How can the gospel be so unreal? How can we live under this delusion that we didn't have a big debt? See, evidently, this guy's living under the delusion that he didn't have a big debt. His debt, here's the way a lot of people live. A lot of people live just this way. When they think of their own sin, they, they think of a small thing that's easily gotten over. But when they think of somebody's sin against them, oh my, that's the Himalayas. What you did, my sin's like Rigger Hill, your sin's like Mount Everest. And they're not going to forgive. This is a big deal. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14, he said, this is after the Lord's Prayer, he says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In the parable, the master finds out and he calls the servant back in. And in verse 32, he says, you wicked servant. That word wicked jumps out. I mean, it just grabs me. Jesus is saying, when, when you won't give grace, when you won't give mercy, when you won't give forgiveness... That's wicked. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? When I read that in the first service, I, I wished I'd have put it in our memory month. I kicked myself for not having that. That's a great verse to have memorized. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then look what happens. Verse 35. Or is that 34 maybe? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Man, I, I want to get us out of there, guys. Like, I want to work this around somehow where it doesn't apply to us. But do you see? Every one of you. <laughs> he says, my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your boy. What, what, what's he going to do? He throws to the jailers. Now, 
What's this talking about? Two things. Number one, I really believe this is a wake-up call to some folks who believe they're Christian but not. One of the ways that you can kind of test where you're at spiritually is if, if you're unable to give mercy to people, if you're unable to forgive, if you're unable to, to put people's sin on the cross, if you can't do that, maybe that's because you've never experienced that. You know? Like maybe, maybe you can't do that because you, you don't feel forgiven. Like you, you've not experienced the grace of God. Maybe you've never seen your sin. Maybe you, maybe you don't know what your own sin is. Maybe you're focusing so much on other people's sin that you don't even see your own. I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon. He was talking about cartoonists. He was, have you ever noticed that like in the newspaper and stuff, cartoonists, what they'll do is they'll pick out, uh, they'll pick out the worst feature on somebody and then they blow it up. Does that, does that make sense? Like it seems like, uh, I'm trying to think, I was trying to think of one's political cartoons I've seen. So Ross Perot, it was what? It was his ears. Yeah, you remember, don't you, right? Um, you know, um, with Trump, I think it's usually his, his hair, right, you know? Um, like, they'll, they'll pick out, like, the worst, worst of your feature, and they just magnify it, right? We, we do that with people, don't we? Like, we pick out their worst thing, and we blow that up huge, and then what do we do with ourselves? We pick our best thing, <laughs> and we blow that up. Number one, if you can't forgive, it could be because you've never been forgiven. Number two, it could be that you are a Christian, you have been forgiven, but you have lost sight of the magnitude of your own sin. Like, you're not seeing your sin. You're just focusing on everybody else's sin. And in that case, I, I, I don't believe you've lost your salvation. I believe that the prison there, the tortures, is your own bitterness. You, you know, isn't it interesting that like Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, be angry, do not sin, don't let sin go down in your wrath. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Like you give the devil a foothold. 2 Corinthians 2, 11, you give the devil a foothold. We're not ignorant of his designs. Okay, you, you give him a foothold when you are bitter, when you're unforgiving. Here's what I know about bitter, unforgiving people. You will plunge yourself into self-pity, if you stay there, it will make you cynical. It will make you critical. It will make you vengeful. It'll, it'll, it'll do this. You will be hard on people. Okay? And you'll be hard to be around. That's what happens to bitter people. I've, I've told you stories before. I, I won't tell them again. But I've told you stories about me you know, having these, these interactions with unforgiving, bitter people, and I, I, okay, I'm telling it. <laughs> I won't tell you the whole story, but I, I was right out there. I was right out those windows walking one morning, and, and just, just the weight of these unforgiving people was so heavy on me. Man, I just broke. I, I, I remember just saying to God, God, I don't ever want to be that. I, God, I don't ever want to be in that prison. You, you lose your ability to see. You, you, the whole world, you just, you're critical and cynical and vengeful and vindictive and, and you're just, you're hard on people. You're hard on your kids. You're hard on your spouse. You're hard on your friends. You're hard on your parents. You're hard on everybody. And you're hard to be around. And it always begins to lead to isolation. Your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because you, you can't forgive. You can't give grace. 
Even though you've gotten grace, you can't give it. And you're the one that's in prison. It's not those other people. You think you got them, right? You got them in your little prison inside your heart, your little maximum security there, right? You wake up every morning, lash them a bit, review that tape in your mind of what they did, how terrible they are, how horrible they are, how much better you are than them. Anytime anybody brings them up, you very skillfully, you don't want to make it too obvious, but you skillfully swoop in there, say something bad about them so that people won't think good of them. You're punishing them. Oh, it's, it's hard to be a jailer. You got to take care of them prisoners 24-7. Some people are living in that bondage. You're the one that's in prison. I'm going to read it again. Last verse. Last verse of chapter 18. So also my Father in heaven will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. See, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking the same thing I was thinking, weren't you? Well, okay, I forgive him. I never want to be around him and I hate him, but I forgive him. That's not forgiveness, is it? Man, what about all the what-ifs? See, we don't have time. You have to go to small group tonight. Talk through your what-ifs, right? You got them, don't you? Come on. What if they're not sorry? What if they haven't repented? What if they're still sinning against me? What if the sin is this? What if they're wearing a blue shirt and a purple tie when they sin? Huh? 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 What if? Talk that out in your small group. There is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. There's times where you can't be reconciled to somebody yet. Because they, they, they aren't sorry, because they aren't repent, because they're still sin. There's times where the relationship can't be mended yet. But let me tell you about this guy. He was hanging on the cross. And he looked down to the men who staked him up there. Who had beat him unmercilessly tortured him, staked him up on a cross, and he looks down upon him as he's dying. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, I don't know that they were reconciled. Some of those Roman soldiers may have laughed and spit on him over that. But I do know this. The man on the cross postured himself in forgiveness. Amen. First Peter says he trusted himself to his father. He knew his father would take care of it. He didn't need to. So I know, I know you got lots of what ifs. I understand that. But, but here's what I know. If you're a believer, you have been forgiven more than you can ever count or imagine. And whatever you're called upon to forgive is so much smaller. So that, that ought to give us the power, the engine to be forgiven. Let's do that. Father, we ask you to just do business in our hearts right now. God, if there are 
there are people here today that need to put their faith in you. God, maybe they've never been forgiven. They've never trusted you, God, to, to take away their sins because of the blood of Jesus. To give them righteousness because of the life of Jesus. God, I pray that they would trust you today. I pray that they'd come and beg. They'd plead with you. God, to take away their sins and to give you, to give them righteousness. Father, I pray for the Christians in this room, God, that we would never make the terrible error of, of thinking that our sins are small and other people's are big. God, I pray that we might know the gravity of our own sinfulness. God, I pray that we might give grace and mercy as you have given us grace and mercy. God, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for continuing to forgive us. God, thank you. Help us be forgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to sing together.